Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 100, Hold Tight and Pretend It's a Plan. This week, we're celebrating our 100th episode and second year anniversary with a special debate. But before we start, we have a few things to announce. Um, first of all, our future plans. We knew, or we know, that at some point near the beginning of 2016, we're going to be running out of Doctor Who episodes. So uh, we knew this problem was coming, and we've been kind of thinking about what to do when that occurs, uh, because there's still going to be plenty of Buffy and Angel episodes to go. So now, uh, as part of our anniversary 100th episode extravaganza here, we wanted to announce that once we finished our review uh, of discussions uh, about Doctor Who Season 9, which is yet to come, but we know we'll be able to get that in sort of after our current discussions, um, that we're actually going to be discussing the, here it is, the 2003 reimagining of Battlestar Galactica. Um, And that'll, just like we're doing with Doctor Who every week with with the different Buffy first episode, we'll be just sort of putting Battlestar Galactica in that Doctor Who spot. Um, now, obviously, this is going to be a little bit different than than what we're doing now. Um, one, because we've both already seen Battlestar Galactica, so it's not going to be as much of an introduction to the piece like we've kind of been uh, doing all along with Buffy and Doctor Who, but it is going to give us sort of this chance. Uh, we both really like the show. We think it's worth discussing on a deeper level, and we want to take some time to sort of think through the complexities of the characters, the plot, and, and just sort of its overall commentary on the modern technological world. Uh, at the same time, um, we don't want to drop Doctor Who entirely. Um, we've been discussing our plans for how to tackle classic Doctor Who because we do want to tackle classic Doctor Who. However, there's a lot of freaking classic Doctor Who. So we're working out the details of quite how to do this, but at some point after we run out of new Who episodes, in addition to our weekly reviews of Buffy and Angel and Battlestar Galactica, we will begin discussing the first eight Doctors on a semi-regular basis. (laughs) Exact schedules to be confirmed. Um, And so these classic Doctor Who discussions will be separate episodes, but if you subscribe to the podcast, you'll receive them along with our regular weekly episodes. Um, and again, this will be a slight change as I've seen some of Classic Who, but not by all mean, by any means all of it. So this will actually be newer to both of us. So that'll be a kind of shift in the other direction. Um, but that's the plan. And so as for what happens after all of that, the future isn't a fixed point yet. So So there keep, we have it. Keep yourself posted. <laughs> um, so now we want to transition to what we really want to talk about and hopefully maybe debate about a, a bit, um, which is in uh, the larger sense and then also specifically with Doctor Who and with Buffy and Angel and the whole Buffyverse, um, these ideas of, I guess, canon and continuity and how, what that means, what that is, how important is it or is it not? And maybe what are the approaches of the shows and maybe our own opinions of how 
you know, the best way to go about that is. And, so, And also sort of, and we'll have to probably spend a little more time even defining exactly what we're talking about, but also bring it into context of how other shows and um, really when we start talking about canon and stuff, we're talking about stuff, media outside of shows even. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely, uh, definitely can get into all of that with a lot of different, different areas. So, yeah, because there's continuity within the shows themselves. How much does it matter if you, you know, establish, a you know, a fact within the show, how important is it to sort of, um, stick to that and not contradict it. But then also, like you said, these are both larger brands that have, that were successful and have spin-off media. So, you know, you've got uh, movies and uh, comics and novelizations and spin-off novels and audio adventures. Um, you know, with Buffy and Angel, you've got continuity between the two shows, too, to kind of uh, fit together. So it's more than just how much do the shows not contradict themselves but how much do they fit in all these other sort of tie-in pieces um and what's their duty to make them fit so so maybe to set up what we should do is talk about sort of what the impetus was for the discussion that we started having and then we kind of said hey you know what this would be a great thing to talk talk about about this this. on the podcast uh because because we felt like it was uh, worth the discussion, and also because we found out that it was one of the rare times where you and I sort of had uh, not a not maybe a drastically different opinion, but I think uh, substantially, at least, mm-hmm. like you know, from sort of the ways we were approaching the idea, at least in that particular discussion, um, you know, around around this idea of canonicity, and and I would also say like there's there's an element that's separate from canonicity but that revolves around sort of structured world or or universe building Mm. within a canon even or within a previously established canon that maybe changes what the idea of a canon for that story or that universe is so um so yeah why don't you why don't you go ahead and and share that um sure well um we don't necessarily need to get into all the intricacies of our arguments yet, but the the spark of this discussion started with the other day, um, an article uh, or you know a number of articles written about um, a leaked email um, from Sony uh, between Sony and the BBC um, that said, according to Sony anyway, that there are um, plans for the development of sort of a Hollywood blockbuster movie version of Doctor Who. Um, it, I can link to this in the show notes, what it said and everything. Um, kind of, you know, so here's the some quotes from it. Um, they're basically saying this is a long-term thing that's in development. It's not necessarily something that they want to do or are planning to do immediately but that, according to uh, Sony anyway, um, the the showrunners are kind of working on, I guess the showrunners of Doctor Who are working on the 
you know, eight year plan for the brand kind of thing. And part of the plan of, you know, an element of that plan, or maybe perhaps the culmination of that plan would be a actual cinematic movie release. Um, and, uh, so this email was, um, was leaked and Sony and BBC haven't really, um, confirmed or denied it. Um, so, I mean, Sony has been having problems with leaks. Sony's been having lots <laughs> anyway. of leaky problems. Um, so, and I want to come back to this because I think there's a lot of complication into uh, why this is maybe even more complicated for Doctor Who than for some other film projects and everything. But so we can come back to that specifically. But that kind of my gut reaction, and I can explain this as we go on, was sort of no, 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 no. <laughs> sort of, that's kind of were my exact words when I shared the article. And then you kind of asked, no, you don't believe it, or no, you don't want it. And I said, I don't want it. And then we talked about maybe why that might be. And um, it kind of led into some comparison contrast to some other um, of these I guess, uh, like multimedia brands or expanded universe brands like, um, you know, the Marvel cinematic universe. Um, and subsequently we've also mentioned the star Wars expanded universe and everything, mm -hmm. um, that have, uh, that have canons like this, that include TV movies, um, comics, novelizations, you know, the works, so that was kind of where the discussion started. So we thought it would be interesting to sort of maybe do some searching of why my reaction was that way and why your reaction was a different way and maybe what are the nuances in between and everything. Sure. Um, so I guess maybe we can start. Um, I mean, it might be good first to kind of talk about the Marvel and Star Wars universes, because I feel like they are some interesting templates that can kind of set parameters for like what we talk about mm. when we talk about, you know, this continuity. Um, so like, you know, one issue, for example, with Star Wars um, that we've talked about in the past was now that, um, you know, they are, and I'd maybe like you to talk about this as a Star Wars fan, because yeah. I'm not, I'm I, I was, not much I was going to say, like, yeah, I, I'm actually I'm very familiar well, with, with the Star Wars. You could talk about it more than me, because I'm yeah. actually not much of a Marvel or a Star Wars fan. I don't dislike either of them, but I'm not a fan girl of those particular, uh, you know, stories or universes or whatever. Mm. But I do find it really interesting with the Star Wars Um and this is maybe one potential issue with the kind of rigid canonity of like, you know, saying things do or don't count as canon. Yeah. Um, with the incoming new series of movies that mm -hmm. they're going to be putting out, they have declared the expanded universe novels, or at least some of them, non-canonical. Um, so they basically, I guess what that means is that don't expect these new movies to uphold all the, you know, right. established facts and storylines of those novels. But if you take it from a more, you know, uh, 
a less kind way of looking at it is to then take a whole group of stories and kind of declare that they didn't really happen or, you know, those novels that people may have enjoyed don't really sort of count in quotes. Um, so, and you being the Star Wars fan, you can maybe add commentary. Does that, so I guess here's my thing. Does, how does that affect your enjoyment of those novels or the upcoming movies? Um, sure. Because I feel like it has to have some sort of impact. Um, are you open-minded enough to have contradictory alternate versions in your head? Or does it mean something to you that all of these things are able to fit together into a sort of timeline of the Star Wars universe, I guess? Yeah. So... All right. Um, man, there's, there's, there's got to be some personal history in here uh, <laughs> with my own familiarity of the Star Wars stuff. But to sort of answer that, <clears throat> that last part um, immediately, I mean, yeah, I, I, I am certainly not the kind of person who is going to say, you know, J.J. Abrams is automatically a story, a horrible storyteller because he's not telling the stories that I liked when I mm -hmm. read them, you know, in, as a teenager in high school, you know? Um, yeah. so I'm open-minded enough there. Um, so yeah, the, historically speaking, so we have, um, Star Wars. So, so part of my attachment to Star Wars is that I was born the year that the first Star Wars movie came out. Mm -hmm. So of course it's, you know, the, the year of our force, I suppose you could call it, um, you know, uh, when, you know, and I saw it as a little kid, I actually remember seeing, I, I would have been almost, I would have been five, I think when return of the Jedi came to the theater. And I actually remember going and seeing it in the theater, one of the earliest movies um, that I did see in the theater. And so just, you know, there's a lot of, Obvious and and obviously I'm not the only one. There are many people in their maybe late 30s, early 40s who have very similar memories of that. Yeah. Um, so you know, for me, obviously there's part of that emotional, you know, growing up component of it. Um, but as far as like the actual stories go, so there, you know, there were the original three movies, which have now been retconned as episodes four, five, and six. Four, five, and six. Um, the the very early on, there were a few like tie-in novels. There was one by Alan Dean Foster um, called Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which is just sort of like a, I, I think it takes place between the first and second movie somewhere, like, be, you know, somewhere between um, <clears throat> blowing up the first Death Star and traveling to Hoth. So, okay. and it, so it's sort of like a it, missing adventure. Yeah, it's sort of like, which we, which I know, you know, for like Doctor Who and that kind of mm -hmm. stuff, they, they've had... Um, yep. there's been, um, radio drama editions done. Um, I believe the BBC even has done them for star Wars. Um, but basically like retelling the same story. So it's not like a different story per se, but it's kind of like a different adaptation of the story. Like a novelization. Yeah. There have been the, novelizations yeah. as well. Um, right. Which Dr. Who has and, had as well as novelized versions of particular episodes that were right, on TV and everything. Right. Right. Um, and there have been, uh, and, and so we're, we're, we're talking like eighties and maybe into early nineties. Uh, I think in, in the eighties was when, um, there were three 
story. Well, there were six stories total, three each for um, Han Solo and Lando Calrissian that were mm-hmm. more like origin stories and talking mm-hmm. about or origin story isn't quite right because they're not like superhero origin stories or anything but they're like right, where early they came from. earlier stories in their storyline that were considered canonical at the time and certainly were like you know this is what happened um yeah. around about the mid 90s um early to mid 90s is when they started really picking up with sort of this extended universe idea mm-hmm. and until I believe George Lucas himself actually had put a moratorium on um, anything going back. So in, you know, in the original movies, they refer to like the clone wars and that kind of thing. And of mm-hmm. course, uh, now that we have like the late, the, the later prequels, <laughs> so the <laughs> earlier movies that sort of talks about the rise of the clones and that kind of right. thing. Uh, we know that. So I, I, I don't remember exactly how long that period was, but there was a period of time, um, you know, where Lucas said, okay, any stories can't, except for, like, the ones he already sort of had approved at that point, because, mm-hmm. like, the Lando and the, the Han Solo stories and the Splinter yeah. of the Mind's Eye were all written already. But, he's, you know, basically, you can't write about anything, you know, back to the Clone Wars, and mm-hmm. you can't write anything forward through, you know, some specified period of time. But some of the, the, the first novel trilogy that came out was by timothy zahn um uh and and it would it focused on um several years i don't remember exactly how many it was but like a number of years later so it included all of the same characters luke and leia and uh han solo and well and and so so it was leia organa solo at that point because she and han were married and um you know all the like this whole storyline and they have children and you know um basically a story about like this uh subset of of the imperial uh navy that was kind of out of the action when every when everything got sort of turned around and um and it was really i mean it was a really good storyline because it's like this this imperial commander who happens to be an alien and of course one of the things about um the the imperial uh you know uh, stormtroopers and all of that was they were all human like it was a very mm-hmm. you know there was very sort of like Aryan overtones with mm-hmm. the stormtrooper obviously being kind of a callback to Germany and that kind of thing so um you know it turns out that there's this this one like alien um uh starship commander who's out there and basically who comes back and you know is able to sort of re you know gather the imperial forces and fight against Luke and Leia and all them and and there's other aspects to it but but that was kind of that was like the first like extended you know like mm-hmm. sort of truly extended universe um right. you know series have gone that and and from there it kind of took off there was another another author uh Kevin J Anderson who um wrote a bunch of he wrote like a Jedi Academy trilogy so it, that was all about like Luke starting up this whole new academy to train new Jedis and you know he was going around looking for people who had force powers and that kind of stuff. And so just really started taking off. Um, they started with a lot of comics, um, a lot of uh, novels. Um, there was like a whole series on, on uh, like this, the X-Wing Rogue Squadron, which is the squadron that Luke is part of and, and yeah. like their missions to all these different places and stuff like that. So, um, <clears throat> you know, really, I mean, for a while, probably about, 
seven, eight years through high school, college, and, and maybe a little bit after college, uh, I was really into it. I was reading everything, and it was like sort of the heyday of like all this Star Wars. But one of the things that I always liked about it was that it was uh, it was supposedly, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and I say this, you know, in hindsight, at the time I thought completely, you know, it was like completely controlled by Lucas and that, mm-hmm. you know, that they had like these people checking for continuity and, and, you know, all these things. Um, they yeah. actually had a whole run of like comics and stuff that went back like a thousand years to like the old Republic. And, you know, it was like all this really cool interesting like sort of extrapolation of like what that would have been like you know before the empire took over and you know even before kind of the new republic and all that kind of took over so just just you know these really intriguing you know at least to a young adult male you know mm-hmm. star wars star uh, wars fan fan yeah and science fiction fan in general um you know it felt like it was really really tightly uh, controlled and like the story seemed pretty integrated like things that happened in one story kind of would affect what happened later and that mm-hmm. kind of thing yeah. um, and I like that I like that idea because I, I just like that you know you could have all these different people playing now actually I just realized I, I skipped over something that was definitely not canonical and I want to say I mean it was definitely the late 70s so like 78 or 79 uh, right after the first movie uh came out they did a star wars like christmas special episode that's like <laughs> it's like one of these things that's like super rare that like, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like a variety show and it was just it it was bad on all accounts and okay. uh, like obviously very not canonical but like so there were a few things like that um right. that that were sort of obviously just fun and like product tie-in type stuff that they mm-hmm. didn't um you know really count but like by and large you know, starting from like late eighties, early nineties, up through like around two thousand, and and even a few years later, like they had this really tight thing. And then from there, it seems like with the new movies, basically when the new movies came out, the the three episodes one, two, and three, mm-hmm. things just started going haywire because mm-hmm. now <clears throat> one of the big problems that people had with with those movies and, and fans like me, I definitely include myself as in the crowd of people who have problems with the star Wars <laughs> movies. Uh-huh. Uh, the, those three star Wars movies is that they basically totally went back and re re explained everything in a way that just didn't make sense in the context of all this extra. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I mean the original movies certainly, but then as well, all of this extra extended universe stuff. Yeah. And so, in doing that, but like they never, they never said like, you know, oh, like all that stuff doesn't matter anymore. They, mm-hmm. they at that point, they kind of developed this like tiered system of like canonical and like sort of not quite canonical, but still sort of like adaptable. Right. But and then like, right. like there's literally like four or five like official tiers of things where like Lucas Company, you know. Um, Lucasfilms and stuff were like, yeah, these are sort of how you can make sense of it all. And uh-huh. the problem with doing that was that it didn't really make it sense. Right. So, right. so right. part of my own delusion and, and, and probably a big reason why I sort of stopped and, and didn't continue following in the extra media 
stories of Star Wars was because it had that really great feel of cohesive, like, you know, good storytelling, you know, all together, and then just sort of got obliterated mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in the early 2000s. Of course, not that that side, I mean, at that point, you know, it's this huge juggernaut of, yeah. you know, mass media and bringing in lots of money. They had TV shows and, right, you know, right. with like the animated Clone War show and, yeah. um, you know, other, other sort of tie-ins that just, you know, video games and all this kind of stuff, um, which actually is a whole other aspect of extended sure. universe stuff we could, could talk about, but maybe not today. Um, you know, so, so that's my, my sort of like jading of, of the idea of canon and and it being done first really well, but then mm-hmm. in a way that seemed to like destroy what I felt was a pretty mm-hmm. solid um, putting together of mm-hmm. of a canonical you know uh, structure and story. So, and he, so here's I think why this gets really complicated. Mm-hmm. You know, the more kind of the more time it goes on, the more cooks that are in the kitchen, yep. the more different types of media you introduce and everything. Mm-hmm. And yep. maybe this is just inevitable and um, there's no uh, right answer necessarily. But um, And maybe there's kind of freedom in realizing you're inevitably screwed <laughs> no matter what, what you do. Because on the one hand, I think for... Some fans, maybe not for all fans, um, having complete anarchy where um, there are no, there is, n- I'm, and I know there are Doctor Who fans who advocate this, so I don't want to say all fans, but for a lot of fans, I think saying there is no canon, everything is equal, um, comes across as just chaotic and kind of unsatisfying on mm. a narrative level. Um, and I can understand that because, you know, I'm a Tolkien fan, so I like my timelines and I like my, you know, genealogies and histories and everything. Um, sure. Like there's a bit of me that enjoys having everything fit together and make sense and mm-hmm. being able to kind of cross-reference and say, okay, when this character's here, you know, this one is over here doing this thing, and there's something kind of satisfying about the reliability of that. Um, beyond the, just the fact that that's a great achievement to have like a giant story that actually works and fits right. all together. Um, but but to say so to go on the one pole and say there's no such thing as canon, everything goes for some fans is just mm-hmm. you know uh, unsatisfying and anarchic. On the other side. You know, to be kind of over-legalistic or kind of fascistic about it and to say to people who maybe loved the, as I saw people say when they declared that novel line um, uncanonical, is to take a lot of people's childhoods and sort of, you know, tramp on it a bit Um, and to say this thing that you enjoyed now, we, you know, the powers that be declare it not as you know, whatever, fill in the blank as, you know, any, something else, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, but then when they try to have their cake and eat it too and do something in the middle, like a compromise, like this kind of, well, 
some things are canon, but there's alternate universes, or right. there's the tiered system, or whatever, that might just be impossible to actually, like, have some sort of, like, middle ground, like, right. you know, you kind of feel like you either have a canon or you don't. Um, so, yeah. I, you know, I think that's really interesting that, is there any right answer to you know this question um you know and like which is why um i think from the doctor who perspective there are definitely the fans that have a very strong sense of continuity and canon and will declare things non-canonical mm -hmm. and who will be bothered when things contradict you know like sure if there's something in new who that isn't what they said in classic who that will certainly ruffle the feathers but you also have the other camp of which a lot of times the showrunners are um that their basic philosophy both moffat and davies have said there's no such thing as canon um which now you have to take with a grain of salt because clearly they're telling narrative stories that call back to earlier episodes it's not right. like it's a clean slate every week like there's a through line in the davies era and the moffat era they're making references back to classic who they're making references to each other so it's not like there's no continuity at all but they refuse to declare anything so like they i think kind of what the approach they take is and for me i think maybe this is the closest you can get to like a best of the best of both worlds approach is they contradict stuff they just never come out and say because we contradicted it that therefore means that one of these two things is no longer canon right they kind of give themselves permission to contradict when it suits the story but then never make like any official statement about what that might mean and you the viewer yeah. are sort of left to like I guess make up your own sort of well, it's mind like, about that. Like so, just to put a concrete example to it, like the the whole um, the the whole angels uh, like getting into your eyes, kind of yeah. you know thing. It's like it wasn't there before, mm -hmm. and then it's there for like one ep, well, one story, two right. episodes long. And, and then, then like it's never there, and yet. then like <laughs> when you see the angels again, like yeah. they don't even bring it up again. So right. like. Yeah, or, you're left to your devices where it's like, okay, so, sorry. Or maybe. How, about, how about to take an, because I think that is an example, but to take an even more extreme example, mm -hmm. how about the fact that there's a novel called Human Nature starring the Seventh Doctor and a, an episode called Human Nature starring the Tenth Doctor, and they mm -hmm. have experiences which are, too similar to just be slightly different versions of a similar story. These are clearly the same story with the same basic premise and plot and characters. And, mm -hmm. you know, so you have these two, you know, coexisting things that can't possibly work together, but you have, nobody is telling you what to make of that. It's just sort of, yeah. Well, and even even going back to the angels, I mean, it's the same with Blink and the story it was based on. I mean, exactly, yeah, you know, like that same yeah. kind of yep idea. Um, yeah, yeah, um, and I think so. He, I think you're right. Like, I think one 
that there is a different feel because of the very attitude that the show runners and creators and whoever took mm-hmm. to it in that they're just like, these are stories we're telling every week. Sometimes we're going to contradict ourselves and okay. Yeah. <laughs> like versus when you do have something. And I think, you know, I mean, I think it's because part of it is, I mean, you know, some of it might just be, have been, you know, with regard to Star Wars and all that, some mm-hmm. of it might just have been naivete on my part as a young, you know, teenager and mm-hmm. young man reading these stories of feeling like George Lucas had a bigger handle on his creation than. Well, and I think he did because it sounded like from what you said, they had official sort of statements on the subject. They had right. like a, an official stance. Right. Um, and, and, and like you know. a continuity person at like Lucas right. film <laughs> right. or, right. you know, whatever company it was that, um, right. you know, that, so like, so like when you're saying, you know, Oh, you can't tell a story within so many years of, you know, the movies or whatever, like you're expecting like, Oh, that's because there's some plan Mm-hmm. you know, about how to handle that. But nobody expected the plan to be, yeah, we're just going to ignore all that. Right. Like, because, right. because you feel like it, it was part of a larger thing that suddenly mm-hmm. they're saying none of this matters. Um, whereas if you're having, if you're having the attitude up front of, yeah, some stories are going to mesh and some aren't. Right. Like, and, and also I feel like just the way that Doctor Who has done and maybe this is just part of the genius of doctor who as it is because i do think there's a certain genius to it is that is that you could reasonably think given the length of the doctor's life and how many adventures he's gone on that he there are so distinct possibility he's run into very similar situations and two different times and two different you know regenerations and just doesn't really remember it because there's a yeah. lot of stuff that happens to him. Yeah. Um, and I mean, or, and or even without... if he, I mean, maybe he does remember it and he just doesn't say anything. Like that's always right. a possibility too. And I feel like I feel like some of that genius of of Doctor Who is is the fact that they leave it up to the readers to. So so there's a the whole thing where like the scary thing you know, isn't like showing you what the scary thing is. It's letting yeah. the viewer fill in the blanks about what the scary thing looks like. Yeah, and the, like, is and all is that. more approach. And yeah. I also feel like maybe on a canonical level that, that is as a good approach as well, because it's, it's leaving the reader to sort of create. And this is, this is a Tolkienian concept too, of like secondary, mm-hmm. you know, world building. It's, Yes, you're defining it, but you're also letting the reader enter into it. And mm-hmm. and so far as they have to be the one to sort of fill in the gaps and say, hmm, now how do those two things fit together? And it kind of becomes a fun exercise in that instance. It's right. not it's not, oh, we're telling you what's official story and what's not official story. It's here's two stories. Figure out how they can work together. Make them fit. And, right. uh, and, and that's what and that's what a lot of fan creators like to do like when mm-hmm. they write stories of their own you know or i mean even like to bring tolkien back in again that's a lot of what he liked to do is let's take these two contradictory versions of you know the the volsunga saga and make a coherent narrative out of it or here's a gap in the story that doesn't make sense and i'm gonna fill it with something um 
so yeah it becomes exciting rather than you know uh limiting i guess but part of that too i think um a larger kind of aspect of that too is that should all stories like so here we've talked about marvel star wars doctor who buffy and angel um should they all necessarily have the same approach or be treated the same um you know does does the fact that one approach works for one of them mean mm. that it will always work for the others um because one aspect that i do think doctor who is a little bit different is the fact that it doesn't really have a single creator you know like when it was created it was created by sort of a group of people you know the nobody kind of sat down a la joss whedon and wrote their movie for buffy the vampire slayer and then kind of developed the tv series and ran it and supervised the other writers and then even though he doesn't write everything himself he still has sort of the the controlling um not in a bad way but he has the kind of duty of overseeing the project that is the buffy verse mm -hmm. um whereas like when doctor who was created it was more like an executive wanted a sci-fi tv show and that was his only idea. So then somebody else contributes a basic plot outline and somebody else contributes, you know, you know, a, a, a character or a particular scenario. And you have this kind of jumbled up, you know, yeah. where you need to at least point to four or five different people responsible for creating the concept that is Doctor Who. And then you continue to pass the baton year after year after right. year right. to various For producers. 20 and, some odd years. Yeah, and, and counting to like, okay, right. yes, there's a Moffat vision of the show, but he's only the latest in a long line of visionaries and he'll pass it on. Yeah. So, and he's not necessarily, you know, the one controlling what's going on in all the spinoff media either. Like, you know, the, the guys creating the audio adventures... I don't think they answer to Moffat, you know, like they can kind of, they have license to use like the classic material and they can kind of do what they want. Um, mm -hmm. So he, it's not even like a George Lucas scenario where they need to kind of get Moffat's green light on that. Um, yeah. You know, and you have them liking each other's work. So you get those cross references between them, but there's no kind of like auteur in the same way that there is with like a Lucas or a Whedon. So I feel like that's part of why the loose approach works in Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily expect that that would or should work in... Like, I don't know that Buffy would be better if everyone was just allowed to contradict Joss Whedon all right. the time. Right. Like, I don't think that would make for a better story, you know? <laughs> right, right. So part of it is, like, how do you figure out the right approach for the story that you're telling, you know? Right. Um yeah, no, and I, I think I think there's some validity to that. Um, you know, well, and, and so let's shift to the other sort of non-Buffy and Doctor Who example that we were discussing, which is kind of funny that it's the other one because, like, both of these are owned by Disney at this point. But right, both right. Star Wars and, and the Marvel Universe, mm -hmm. um, specifically the Mar Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I want to talk about that in a moment, like just thinking broader, Marvel and Star Wars both started way back before 
Disney took them over. So, you know, both of those acquisitions are pretty recent, um, you know, within the last decade. So, um, I actually think that, that the way that Marvel grew is a lot similar to the way that you kind of described Dr. Who. Mm -hmm. Um, because so, uh, I'm, I was not a comic book except for star Wars. (laughs) I did read Star Wars comics when I was younger. Uh, But other than that, I did not read a ton of other comics. I, you know, friends had them and I would sort of look through them. Um, Some of the stories were interesting. I I was kind of like the Punisher. Um, I was sort of ambivalent about, you know, like Avengers and various, you know, superhero Mm -hmm. type stuff. But um, as far as like Marvel comics goes, um, so the first iteration of the company was actually uh timely publications was what it was known as um started in like the late 1930s and then like it became atlas comics and then marvel comics as we kind of know it um or as it came to be known was um in the early 60s so we're actually it was 1961 so we're actually very close to when doctor who uh (laughs) was starting um but obviously, you know, comics being a very different medium, um, the storylines that that came about, um, you act the way that you were just sort of describing Doctor Who with having sort of all these different hands come in mm-hmm. is very similar because you have like all of these different people sort of creating, you know, yeah. these science fiction. Now you have some famous ones, obviously, who created a lot, like Stan Lee, right. um, you know, and that kind of thing. Um, and, and, you know, sort of famous uh, artists and stuff who drew the characters and, and which had an impact on uh, how that sort of grew about. But, like, you have, you have these different storylines and different characters and stuff, and you have, over the years, different people writing the stories. And, and actually, so, you know, bringing it, like, <laughs> of course, Joss Whedon has now directed two yeah. super huge budget uh, and super popular stories for yeah. Marvel, but actually, um, this isn't the first time that uh, that Whedon has worked with Marvel because he wrote a run of comics for Marvel in the nineties, maybe early two thousand. I don't, I, I can't remember exactly when it was, but um, but basically, you know, like he is part of that whole train of people who are you know, creating these stories over time. And, and just like, just like with Dr. Who, those stories kind of can contradict can change. Now, Mm -hmm. you know, there were times where that sort of just did stuff that contradicted, but then there was also times where they sort of explicitly did it and, and actually Mm -hmm. created a, you know, whole new like alternate universes where you, where you wind up having these different, um, different characters, superheroes or otherwise sort of having all of the, like maybe three or four or possibly even more like backstories and origin stories and stuff. So definitely, uh, definitely has sort of that same kind of feel where it's like, there's all these different things. And then of course, you know, different fans will like different stories better. And, you know, and then of course it's like, well, now we have these alternate universes. Let's see what happens when we push them back together and you know how the characters, you know, might interact with each other in that instance and that kind of thing. So like there's, there's all these different possibilities that come out of that, but Mm -hmm. you know, where you might have, I, I mean, just 
given by the fact that, you know, between the 60s and today, you know, you're talking half a century of yeah. of people in all different aspects, you know, having sort of their own creative and political and whatever ideas about how that should work. You know, obviously, like something like canon does sort of become ridiculous. So what do you do in that instance? And one of the things that fascinates me with what they've been able to do with uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is <clears throat> there's this... Well, I mean, first of all, obviously there have been uh, Marvel uh, movies, Marvel, uh, you know, movies made from Marvel comic book stories yeah. for decades, like, yeah. you know, before the whole idea of, of the MCU came about. But... Yeah. Um, but they're all not being, necessarily included in that. But they're not part of it. Right. So so it's almost again like this this specific like they're like, okay, yeah, we have all these stories. We've had, you know, three movies about the Hulk, none of which even relate to <laughs> right. each other. Right. Um like three different actors doing yeah. the same like origin of the Hulk within the space of a decade or whatever. Right. Um, and and that kind of thing. And it's just like, okay, let's let's see how this uh this happens um and so they've sort of like it's sort of like they've built this bubble now around this one specific universe that includes mm -hmm. you know like the iron man and yeah. um thor and captain america and like the avengers yeah. movies as well as agents of shield mm -hmm. and then you know there's going to be future iterations of that but yeah. you know it doesn't like there's this idea that okay, like they can, you can say like this is canon now and this is canon, mm -hmm. but it's canon for like this one specific universe, right? <laughs> um, and it doesn't include things like the X Men movies that the have been movies, you know right. going going alongside you know these other movies or even other like the Punisher has had several mm -hmm. reiterations of of it as well. One with John Travolta that was apparently very terrible. That's one I never saw, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, and all these kind of, you know, all these kind of things that like, so when you get, I feel like with Marvel, you get sort of like, it's not maybe quite as bad as Star Wars where it's like, oh, there's this very, very, very canonical thing. And then like one day she's like, oh yeah, most of that stuff just doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. You have more of an organic growth like Doctor Who, but at mm -hmm. the same time, in the midst of that, you have this very sort of heavy-handed canonical idea and the thing is i like that because mm -hmm. i think that those movies in general those movies that have been part of the marvel cinematic universe um have been better than the other movies that marvel put out and that's not to say i sure. hated every other marvel movie but i think right. in general because there's a sort of cohesive hand it's improved the quality that, yeah. that it's improved the quality and that there is there is an idea of having that long-term, uh, you know, sort of strategic vision of where you'd like to see a broad storyline go. Um, mm -hmm. I like I like that that exists. Um, mm -hmm. Do I think it'll work for Doctor Who? Do I think that sort of thing would work for Doctor Who? And that's where we get back to that question of... So here's... Yeah. Here's my number one concern. Yes. Um, I haven't numbered how many concerns I have, but this is the first thing. Because <laughs> the, first, the first thing 
that comes to mind, and I think the reason I had the gut reaction of no, um, is what I'm going to call, like, I'm going to label this Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. syndrome. Which, now, and I'm no Angels, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., like, you know, expert, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm basing this more on the popular buzz more than my own informed opinion. So maybe yeah. if you know better than me, you can kind of, you know, uh, contradict me or explain or whatever. But um, the the impression I get, both from the bit of it I saw and from the, what other people say, mm-hmm. and the fear that I have is that I feel like more so than, um, I mean, definitely more so than Star Wars, and I think more so than um, Marvel, if there's a genius to Doctor Who, I think it lies in its the fact that it's a television show. Like, a lot of talk has been made about how you really couldn't... Doctor Who is kind of uniquely, you know, suited for television. Okay. Um, and that was kind of a big... Like, there's something about it. Not that you can't do it as a movie or a comic or a novel, but the kind of serialized format and the fact that you can um, change actors yet still keep a sense of narrative continuity and and progression is kind of why it works as a TV show. My worry is that if you have a kind of um, universe that now expands to include movies as well that the natural gravity of movies is such that that will overtake the tv show and cause it harm (laughs) and you know and you could say well why isn't that true with you know the novels or the comics and i think it's different because it's not a visual medium that these things don't impact the the production of the, of the show they can be do they can be done simultaneously with little to no you know interaction between the two other than the writers who have to sort of you know mm-hmm. keep an eye on each other or whatever yeah. um you know and and what what worries me about things like the term eight year plan is that <laughs> now what i think has been for 10 years a very successful run of doctor who where each season has been its own, not that there haven't been any long-term plans. I mean, we've seen Stephen Moffat with sort of thinking a few years ahead and everything, but I think they've had a really good run of taking it basically one season at a time and saying, what is the story we're telling right now? What is mm. what does this doctor need to do now? What What is the right companion for this moment in time? Where do we want her to be at the end of the season? And then when that's done, you kind of do a soft reboot and you change an actor or two and you change the format and you try something new and you do it over again. And I'm worried that if it's the kind of thing of both from like a scheduling point of view, from a writing point of view, from a advertising point of view, now I'm, I'm worried that it's going to be like, it's all a lead up to this like moment of, apotheosis that is the movie you know and that and that it becomes the 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 tv show becomes subordinate to 
you know, and especially the fact that they're talking about like a Sony Hollywood blockbuster, you know, so now you've got money, you know, becomes a, you know, the, the, investing a lot into it they would expect it to get a huge return you have executives who want you know a certain kind of thing to be done and you know have you know adding a lot more influence from the top on what you know the brand needs to be and all this kind of thing um i i mean if nothing else if they did it with the same actors and production team and everything and i guess we could talk about whether they need to do that um it would certainly delay the tv series um you know if not like completely derail the sense of you know structure that it has at the moment um and i feel like i like the way it's been going and maybe i'm being overly You're cautious I'm being a little bit of like, I'm being a little uh, pessimistic about it or something, but um, I feel like for me personally, I'm doing just fine without Doctor Who movies. And I don't know <laughs> that that to me sounds like a lot of fuss over something that I, I feel like you kind of get a mini Doctor Who movie every week, you know, for, you know, 13 episodes once a year. And I enjoy that. And and the couple times they've had episodes in the theaters, you know, which they did for the 50th anniversary and then for the season 8 premiere, they showed them in, you know, movie theaters. Right. That was and, an enjoyable and those experience. Are, those are the regular sorry, episodes. Correct me. Okay, I, I was going to say like are yeah. those <clears throat> they're not like hour and a half or anything. They're No, uh they were a bit longer, like an hour and 15 minutes. Um, so not quite, so not quite feature, not length. quite feature length, but longer special episodes. Um, I enjoyed my experience in the theater for the 50th anniversary. I didn't see the season eight premiere in the theater. Um, yeah, but I felt like that was fun, but I'm not sure what a movie is going to give me that the TV show doesn't give me. And, yeah. and I'm worried that the TV show will be less of an experience as a result of this movie, you know, which maybe would be great, but you know, I feel like the writing of the show is very strong. I, I, I don't see a huge leap in quality to me. Like I could be totally wrong, but I don't think it's a difference of if you did a movie, it would be so much better than the TV show. Like the budget would be bigger. Um, but other than that, um, would the writing be any better? Would the acting be any better? I don't think necessarily at all. Um, I think all it would do is mess up the TV show. <laughs> so that's my like. You're you're you know, afraid of that. What I'm it would afraid. Do is, I'm afraid. Is, I'm so. And and I if I had to guess, like if I had to put money down, my guess would be that it would do more harm than good. You know. Um, so those are my kind of concerns with, like, you know, with Marvel, like, I think you're right that the, it has improved, like, the Marvel movies that are in that universe are probably better than the ones mm -hmm. without it, and it has done good things for that brand and that universe, but, um, but that's because their primary focus is on the movies. Now, with the, with the TV shows... 
you know, we've had Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which has issues. Um, mm. We've had Agent Carter, which I know a lot of people really liked. Yeah. So. Um, and I wanted to bring that up. Yes. So, you know, um, I'm I'm not saying, I'm not predicting the future and saying I will inevitably dis- be disappointed. Um. But I do feel like the Marvel is a good example of how the movies are really primary. And, you know, and I, with Doctor Who, I'd like to keep it that the TV show is primary. Um, yeah. Because I think that's one of the really unique and interesting things about that brand that's different than the others. Yeah. So those are some of my... I heard the words eight-year plan, and I just had all these <laughs> visions of like... You know, year years long hiatuses, um, rushed production, and then you know maybe a movie that is not that much better than a good episode of the show, um, in terms of like the basic storytelling. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So you can go now. <laughs> so <laughs> no, no, that's all good. So yeah, I I understand. I, I understand where your fear is coming from, but fear isn't an argument. <laughs> um, and and part of so one of the things. So first of all, we don't have to question about what would happen if movies were brought into the Doctor Who universe. Doctor Who universe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I sort of did the wrong combination there um, because we already have one with the Eighth Doctor. Well, okay. But that's a TV movie. Well, wait, I, yeah, wait, 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 wait. Can I give my little history sure. of Doctor sure. Who movies? Sure, sure, sure. Um, so in the 60s, they had Doctor Who movies, two of them. Yep. Which starred Peter Cushing. Yep. As You're an anticipating alternate... what I was going to say. Okay. Well, I'm just... <laughs> no, that's for fine. The, for the benefit of the listener, I guess, who probably knows all this anyway. But, you know, so you have... For Brandon. For, exactly. <laughs> Which one? Um, uh, they probably both know. So, uh, okay, so you have Peter Cushing playing a alternate human doctor, you know, who has his companions um, are not, you know, a school teacher and his granddaughter. They're his little girl actual daughters um and he is kind of like a slightly magical scientist like he's basically like one of these like victorian science adventurists you know sure um and he you know doyle lost world kind of stuff exactly um and uh and he does battle with the daleks you know in in modern day contemporary you know 60s contemporary london and everything um and are the daleks the same Daleks of that we would know. They look and behave like the Daleks we know. I I don't know if they rehash their backstory, whether right, there right, are any right. tweaks in the. That's narrative all I meant there. was like, but they, they look like they are the same. And basically, from what I've read, these movies were vehicles for the Daleks. That that's what people wanted to see on screen was even more so than having the current Doctor. You know, they didn't even use the doctor that was on TV. They recast and had a new doctor, but the big thing was Daleks in color on the big screen. This was like the draw in color 
Absolutely. The show is still in black and white. So these yep. were Technicolor Daleks. Um, and Bef- that before the Idoleks. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're the inspiration for the Idoleks. Um, that's what they were based on. Um, right. So, you, so okay. So there you have a case of they've done a movie, but it in no way impacts or has any relationship really to the TV show. Um, right. It involves none of the same people. Like even mm-hmm. the guy who wrote it, I think was the creator of the Daleks, but he wasn't running the show, so it didn't really impact his. He may have still written the occasional episode for the show. Um, but I don't think they weren't meant to kind of work together in terms of right. like a coherent story. Um, and well, and my understanding was that the doctor who in those movies, like Peter Cushing as mm-hmm. doctor who in those movies was like, maybe not explicitly, but it was more like understood that he was like human. Like it's not the yes. same right. doctor as right. yeah. uh, the doctor in the show. Exactly. Yeah. Like, so his total backstory is different. He is human, you know, and he's not sort of alien or magical in any, he doesn't even travel in time in the movies. Um, They stay in in London and battle Daleks. (laughs) I will, I will simply point out that that situation could be explained by any fan who wanted to using rule number one. The doctor lies. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> or Moffat's other thing of it's impossible to have canon when you have alternate universes as part of your canon. So sure. <laughs> theoretically, anything is possible right. and it's included in the same reality. So I'm sure people can and have incorporated them, you know, into a workable universe. But he's not in the line of doctors. And, and a lot of people like the fans who like a closed canon of Doctor Who... And even people who like loose canon of Doctor Who don't count him as a doctor. Like when you say you were asked to rank your favorite doctors, you maybe wouldn't even put Peter Cushing on the list. Right. That's how far outside of canon he is. And and I'm I'm so just sort of snowballing on other potential. I mean, this could be deluded individual along the lines of the governor who, (laughs) you know, uh, I forget his the actor's name. Um, you know, in, right. in, in the, in the yeah. episode with David the Mecca. David Morrissey, the, like, human yeah, yeah, yeah. doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, that he's human and either thinks he's a doctor or is for some reason pretending to be the right. doctor. Right, So right. there, like, there are ways even with that to right. sort of bring it into, quote, canon or... And because you have Moffat and Davies saying, we do not care about canon, we will never tell you that these movies are not canon. So right. you feel free to do all the legwork you want to fit them in. If right, you right. if you if you want and if you hate them, you leave them out and everyone's happy. So anyway, so there's that. So the 8th Doctor Paul McGann movie, which as you mentioned was a TV movie, mm-hmm. was a pilot episode. You know, so I think that's different too. It wasn't meant to be a standalone. It was meant to be it was a pilot that bombed and didn't get picked up for more episodes because nobody watched it. So it wasn't meant to be like this, A, it wasn't meant to be in movie theaters, and B, it wasn't meant to be this, like, standalone juggernaut experience. You know, it was meant to be episode one of a a reboot. Um, you know, so, again, I think that 
is a slightly, you know, another kind of orange and apple situation. Um, and then again, with the new series, the episodes that we've had broadcasted in movie theaters have been actual episodes of the show that they basically just put on a big screen. Um, mm. And you're watching them at the same time as everybody else, just in a theater rather than in your, ha- sure. your house. Sure. So, um, so which we, is no different having... than having like a party of friends over to exactly. watch yeah. the show or whatever. Yeah. It's just um, a lot more friends. So, what were you going to. That was totally an interruption to whatever you were going to say about this. No, TV no, no. Movie, it's but... it's good. So, I mean, my only point was really that, like, we don't have to wonder to to some extent. It, it was responding to basically one particular thing that you mentioned was just of, like, what would happen if there were Doctor Who movies? And it's like, yeah. well, we already have examples of that. Now, I'm not saying that the new mo- any new movies would be like those examples. Mm-hmm. They're perhaps not particularly successful examples. So we would hope that they wouldn't be like them, or at least the second one, certainly less successful. The first one, if, you know, based on your description anyway, like if people were just wanting more Daleks, then, Mm. you know, okay, that's fine. But yeah, hopefully we don't get a movie where it's just like, oh, we want to see Daleks. Cause I don't think that that's what people necessarily want to see at this point in time. Um, Here's another interesting thing, which I just kind of occurred to me to bring in to further complicate the issue because so here's an argument for canon in Doctor Who and kind of how it can be a funny thing Um, because the TV movie Mm -hmm. um, which now you know we know that as the eighth Doctor you know that's his only episode of television that he ever got and it did not do well commercially Um, and it was um an American production too, you mm. know, that it, the doctor was played by an English actor, but it was set in, you know, set and shot in America and featured American actors and everything. So, um, it wasn't, you know, uh, a, a British BBC kind of, I'm sure they had some sort of royalties for it, but it wasn't sure. like a BBC production, I guess. Um, right. So, with the idea and, of it being an American, an American show, show. that yeah. it would be a pilot. That yes. the pilot did, did it air in Britain, or what, did it only air here? I like? think after it got like a delayed airing. Yeah, but yeah. but it did eventually. I it think. didn't help it. <laughs> it did not help it. Um, and it, yeah. I mean, not only did no one watch it, but uh, you know, a lot of people don't even really like it. Like it wasn't a even. It wasn't successful from a critical or a fan perspective any more than from like a commercial perspective and it also did again some not quite as extreme as with the peter cushing movies but it did some screwy things with the canon like it said like the doctor in that episode says he's half human so and again the doctor lies you know uh stephen moffat's covered all eventualities but you know you have people kind of (laughs) flipping out because what the doctors, you know, so this isn't some movie we can explain away as in a different universe. Now we've got a television episode where he says this. And from the, from the impression I get, what's really interesting about it is that I feel like there was a good chance that that movie could have been sort of pushed to the side in the same way that 
the 60s movies were as like not quite in the same line of continuity so that they rebooted the show maybe it would have started with the eighth doctor instead of the ninth doctor and you just have a different eighth doctor but at the same time they started publishing books you know because when the show got you know not picked up all the novels starred the eighth doctor so now you've got this character that everybody reads about and knows and likes and you don't want to just visualizes in and visualizes you you see him as paul mcgann and paul mcgann's done audio stuff as so he only has one tv episode but he's got novels he's got audio adventures all this uh, comics and all the works so it's almost like because of all the visual or all the tie-in media this thing which we maybe would have rather wasn't canon now Mm -hmm. is canon because nobody wants to like skip over it you know so when russell davies brings back the show he doesn't just rewrite the eighth doctor he has the ninth doctor so in some ways there is this kind of it might be harder than it sounds to just do like an alternate universe version you know and i mean it would be really it would be really interesting and i don't know how it would go to if they did a movie to just do the the alternate universe version thing of why does it have to have anything to do with the tv show um yeah you know. well and so you're anticipating a lot of my oh, okay argument. sorry no because that that was one of the things that i that i thought immediately was that you could easily like like one of one of the arguments that i think sort of undercuts a lot of your fear and concern is that <laughs> is that simply it doesn't have to have anything to do with the TV show. Mm-hmm. It can be completely different stories. And it can be completely different stories and even still be the same Doctor. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I'm not saying this would ever happen. But mm-hmm. it could be stories starring Christopher Eccleston before we see him, you know, in the beginning mm-hmm. of New Who. Like, it could be, mm-hmm. it could be, the re- it could be the regeneration story of Nine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that eventually would you know like perhaps could affect mm-hmm. uh, you know the beginning of New Who but doesn't necessarily have to because like as we discussed when we first started you know our podcast way back when like mm-hmm. we don't know how long he it's been since he regenerated it seems right. like it's a relatively short time but what's a short time to a time lord like mm-hmm. you know like it still could have been months or years even <laughs> like mm-hmm. potentially um so we don't actually i mean i could totally see the doctor like never having looked at his own reflection i, I could see christopher eccleston doctor <laughs> not never look, having looked at his never reflection. having looked at his reflection in like three years you know what sure, i mean like sure. and just and just like suddenly seeing a mirror and be like oh yeah okay those are my ears. That's funny. Right. You know, like, so, or it could be something completely different. Like it could be, it could be, you know, a doctor somewhere else completely in, in a timeline thousands of years later or something. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there's no, no reason why it has to do anything with the show. And this, and, and given, I mean, given that your argument of, or not argument, but sort of statement of how Doctor Who has arisen uh, in a way that sort of prevents it from having a canon. Like, it almost argues 
for it not to have someone who's the showrunner for the show be mm-hmm. involved in the movie. It mm-hmm. kind of argues to have someone else completely different being involved in that aspect of things. Mm-hmm. And who cares if they contradict or don't contradict mm-hmm. uh, stuff. Now, um, I do want to address the two TV shows, the two Marvel TV shows that you brought up yeah. because I, I do agree that they sort of need to be addressed. Um, I mean, I like the many of those who watch it have a love hate relationship with Agents of Shield. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely think that the areas where it's excelled, um, and I'm interested to see um, because with the Avengers just opening this weekend that we're recording our episode here, I'm I'm curious to see what the tail end of this season of Agents of Shield is like because right. I feel like both seasons now, you there's been there's been a long. There's been sort of a hesitation that's been caused by the movies. Um, In the first season, it was Captain America Winter Soldier. Um, And in this this movie, or this season, it's been the impending, you know, Avengers 2 movie, Mm -hmm. um, where where they've sort of held off or maybe protracted the storyline a bit to bring it to a specific point Mm -hmm. to tie into the movie. With, with uh, Winter Soldier, Captain America Winter Soldier, the show definitely picked up after that. Like, it mm-hmm. kind of got its own feet and running and whatever. But, yeah. um, but there's no doubt. In fact, um, Joss Whedon even said, uh, I, I read a number of articles just around his involvement with Avengers and whatever this past week. And um, he even said that, like, in creating, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which he wasn't really kind of supposed to be doing because they wanted him to write, you know, this second movie after the, the Avengers, the first Avengers movie. Um, but, you know, he had a hand in, in sort of creating Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and then handing it off to his brother Jed and uh, and Jed's wife, Marissa, um, that, you know, we're creating this Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show and Marvel basically said to him, yeah, that's great we're destroying shield in captain America. So, so like now you have this and, and, you know, part of what Whedon was talking about was like, you know, this sort of corporate overlord, you know, Mm -hmm. instruction of, Oh, Oh, sure. You can make this movie and you can have creative control, except that this has to happen. And not only this particular thing has happened, but this huge thing that basically destroys the entire premise of your show. Undermi- has to in the first season, undermines the In the first season, the right. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. halfway through, the or a little, you know, like two-thirds of the way through the first like, season. Like, I'm, I'm really glad we called this Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> and S.H.I.E.L.D.'s gone, yeah. Um, not to mention that, you, you know, the, the leader of the group is someone who dies in the Avengers, so they have to think of right. a way to, like, bring him back bring and him that back, kind of... Yeah. So, you know, like, there's there's, like, all these there's all these sort of restrictions placed on it. Um, and, and I do feel that like the few times where agents of shield has been able to get out from under those restrictions, like after, after captain America winter soldier is over and they've destroyed shield. It's like, okay, well now we have freedom to do whatever we want because like, it's just, we now have to pick up the pieces of what this was and we can move on. But then it's like, Oh yeah, well, and and we didn't kind of talk about the irony of this is like, oh yeah, but then like, 
I need the shield to do something specific to set up my movie, which comes out next year. Oh, and by the way, now I'm the corporate overlord telling my brother what he has to do with his show. Right. Right. <laughs> and he's kind of like, that's just some whacked out stuff going on right there. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, similar kind of thing where like there, you know, there've been some good one-off episodes of agents of shield, but it's really kind of been, um, you know, stutter starting. And, and like, I think at this point it's not even entirely clear if it's going to be picked up again, because mm-hmm. kind of because of Marvel's own success, which, you know, success in the movies, which has killed its, or at least limited severely its success in potential um, for the shows. Yeah. Um, I think one of the reasons why agent Carter is such a better show. I, I, I think there's a number of reasons why it's a much better show. I think one of the big reasons is because it does not have the that sort of weight hanging over it. Mm-hmm. Um, right, because it's in the past, right? It's so in, it's, she's not she's not waiting around for the next movie to turn up so that she can right. work into that plot. And that's it, not to say that there's no references, but it's not sort of like you need to do every other like one after the other in its it, continuity. It takes place it takes place after the events of the first Captain America movie. Right. Um, and and for those who don't know Peggy Carter who's who's the agent um referred to in the title, uh she and Steve Rogers, Captain America, are basically lovers, but then Captain America gets he he's in this uh accident sends him into like the Arctic ocean and he's frozen for like 75 years, wakes Mm -hmm. up in modern day America and you know, right. Agent Carter's long, long gone. Um, so, you know, it explores kind of her continuing story during that whole time when Captain America's Mm -hmm. frozen under ice all those years. Um, and also, and and I mean, there's certainly tie-ins cause then you have like, I forget, uh, it's Tony Stark's dad, whatever his name is, Stark, uh-huh. you know, guy who builds up the company that's, you know, a big defense contractor and all this stuff and kind of, you know, so there is tie-in, but it's like 40, 50, 60 years down the road types right. of tie-ins. You right. know, it, we're not talking about, um, you know, we're not talking about stuff Concurrent that's actively events, yeah. happening yeah. in, right, in the Marvel Universe at that point. So, yeah. so I think, I, I definitely think that one of the, one of the big reasons why that show is is better in that way is because it doesn't it doesn't it's still part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, mm-hmm. but it's not affected by the Marvel mm-hmm. Cinematic Universe in, in yeah. that way. Um, which in large part, like both of those shows and sort of what's happened with them actually kind of supports some of your fear. Um, even though it is like inverse from Doctor mm-hmm. Who, you know, as far as being a TV show and, you know, the prospect of it becoming, you know, more of a movie franchise or at mm-hmm. least having a co-occurring movie mm-hmm. franchise with it. Um, whereas this is like, you know, it's it's more a movie franchise that sort of has branched out into TV shows. But mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I I think the lesson there is that you know, going back to the idea that the movies can have nothing to do with mm-hmm. the TV show. And you can, I think, have both be successful. Um, and when I say nothing to do, I mean, again, like it, they're going to, 
they should if there were Doctor Who movies, they should be Doctor Who movies the whole way. Um, you know, and still live sort of in that same universe. But like mm-hmm. uh, it it doesn't have to like directly affect or dictate the stories. And I think if you're going to do it right, it shouldn't affect and dictate those stories, or at least not, not in such ways where like you have to, you're then artificially limiting the -hmm. stories uh, of either one in any kind of way. And, and I actually think that Dr. Who could be more successful if it takes a, attack like that because you're because it is just more malleable it's more flexible with mm-hmm. those sorts of overlapping storylines than right. than marvel universe or star wars or whatever have been mm-hmm. um so you know that's just my thought i'm realizing yeah, and i think sorry no 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 finish I, I was just gonna say i'm realizing we actually haven't spent a ton of time talking about buffy and, and no, angel I know. Uh, so we should probably, you know, talk about them at some point too, but go ahead and, and, um, no, I, and I think like there's, I think you're right in that, um, shield and Carter are like the, are good examples of how it can kind of go wrong or go right. So, you know, I think it's good to have those as sort of other, you know, hopefully if they did something they would do their research and kind of see you know what are some of these other brands doing and what works and what doesn't um i mean and i think yeah like if i think at at the very basic level um no matter what it looks like just my own preference i would really like to see that that the movies not interfere with the kind of story and template that the show has going um and that it can be somewhat involved or or not at all you know but just in terms of of not handicapping their own product that they have you know by trying to make it into this other thing too um you know and there's part of me too that as much as i like movies kind of on the one hand, wonders, this is going to sound really cynical, like, why do, why, why do you need it? <laughs> I, that's the part of me that, like, and maybe I won't know it till I see it, you know, and, and right. maybe you'd need to make a movie and say, was that worth doing or not? You know, it's maybe hard to imagine what the movie would be right now that would make me go, well, I'm really glad they told that story, or here's a story that could only be told as a movie, you know, that maybe then you're glad that they did it in that format rather than as an episode of the show. So, you know, I can't really claim that I couldn't possibly be satisfied by one, but I also don't know that I can imagine what that would be. Um, Sure. So, you know, I, I'll go and see it if they make it. And I hope that if it happens that they do, you know, I certainly want them to do a good job with it. I don't want to be proven right and have them do a poor job. Um, but I think, too, like, you said fear isn't an argument, and that's true, but I also feel like the concerns are based on other examples of things that I've seen, that it's not just... there. There's... It's yeah. a... It's a well-founded <clears throat> fear, I think. And 
maybe that's still fear, but, um, but I've seen kind of issues with some of these other stories and you would just hate to see them not do their kind of diligence in, uh, maintaining the quality of the story that they've been able to so far. Um, because sure. I don't see there's any reason why they shouldn't be able to maintain it for a long time. Um, sure. And I and I hope they continue to do that in no matter what the format is. So, no. I mean, the other thing is too, like there there's at least one story each season that's already a double episode, any of right. which could be a feature length movie. I mean, sure. I'm thinking like the Empty Child and the Doctor Dances could easily make a nice cohesive like single mm-hmm. uh s- cinematic experience yeah. you know and yeah. and yes like sometime like some some two part I, I i won't say that's true of all two parters cuz some two parters no. are no. are different enough in tone and sort of how the story unfolds that you do kind of need that break but yeah. i feel like that definitely are some other than like sort of you know the gag of like you know, the doctor, oh, I'm glad that worked, <laughs> you know, uh, at yeah, the beginning yeah. of the doctor dances, you know, right, go right. to your room kind of stuff. Right. Like, like there is sort of the break that, that helps with those gags. But like, also I don't feel like, like those gags are fun, but they're not necessary to the story. No, you so, could like, totally rewrite that one scene and it would work yeah. as a single episode. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and like tweak it, like not even have to rewrite it time. Yeah. And actually we brought up human nature earlier, like human mm-hmm. nature and the family of blood could probably be another one where, where that sort of fits because it's sort of a cohesive two part, you know, story um, where you already have these kind of now, I mean, with both of those, I think those, both of those stories would fit as a single cohesive story as mm-hmm. a movie. But then again, those stories also are both pretty heavy within their season too. Like right. they're, they're both of those examples are pivotal moments within the season. So I'm not saying like we should sort of wholesale lift those right. stories out of the season. Like I still think there's a place for two part stories within a season. I'm just giving an example of, of yeah. like how that there are already stories that are feature length, mm-hmm. which could easily be adapted to, I mean, Easily, says the guy who's never made a movie or even right. written a script for one, um, you know, adapted to uh, that type of storytelling. And then you get, um, well, and the end of time, like that's maybe even more mm-hmm. standalone um, yeah. that wouldn't necessarily have to be uh, part of a, a season. And that actually wasn't, they were specials. So like right, exactly. it wasn't even, you know, part of a season. So I just think that, um that there is a way that that can be done. And I, and I get your fear. I mean, you know, this it's something you love and enjoy. And, and I do admit I was being sort of excessively uh, dismissive and snarky when I said, you know, that, that fear isn't an argument, but, but also what, what does the doctor say about, you know, being afraid of something? It's oh, let's jump in and see what happens, sure. which, which is itself perhaps maybe a, Maybe it's a, yeah, let's do a movie, see what happens, you know, and, and not saying it'll work out, but Hey, not saying it won't either, you know? Yeah. No, that's Um, definitely true. I'm, I'm open to be proved wrong and I hope I would be, you know, the last thing I want to see is, is a bad Doctor Who movie. So 
Um, right. Yeah. You know, I, or, I don't so, think anyone would believe that you would want a Doctor Who movie to fail just out of spite. <laughs> no. no. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. The, well. Go no, ahead. go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I was going to say, again. like, let's let's talk a little bit about Buffy and stuff, too, because I feel yeah. like I mean, and it might not be a surprise what we'll say about it at this point, but um we do have we do have more of a tight canon with mm-hmm. Buffy, um certainly than with Doctor Who and with Marvel. Um and also with Star Wars. And I would say at this point it's much closer to what I thought Star Wars was at one point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and even less broad, you know, um with that. So uh Yeah, of them all at this point it kind of seems like Buffy has the most coherent single mm-hmm. narrative, doesn't it? Um, it does. And so the Buffy verse includes of course um the Buffy stories and Angel and also Frey, which um I don't know if you're familiar with Frey. Uh just the the name. I don't so, know much about it. Yeah. Um so I'll give a little history. So of course uh, I mean, we've talked we've talked through sort of the history of Buffy and its concept. Uh, the Buffy movie, the early '90s Buffy movie, mm-hmm. not considered part of canon. Um, mm-hmm. We've sort of talked about that, but the script on which that story was based and the comic version of the graphic novel version of that, you know, that was created using that original script, are definitely considered part of the canon of Buffy. Yeah. Um, of course all through the show and up through seasons eight, nine, and 10, which are all comic book, uh, quote seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, angel, of course, I mean, you know, following the beginning of the Buffy show and then split off of the angel, um, show, uh, is all included. And then there was, um, there are two, there are two sort of canonical spinoffs. Um, mm-hmm. one is, called angel after the fall um and then uh the other is well it's angel and faith i debated whether to say the title because this might be a little bit spoilery but it's not Mm. really spoilery uh, because it doesn't tell you like what that has to do with anything sure um so so both buffy and angel uh the tv shows have have these sort of comic continuations. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other, uh, there are some other sort of canonical, uh, there, there are a few, uh, I, it starts getting, because, okay, so Whedon has had his hand in all of those things that I've mentioned up to this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there are some Spike-related stories, um, that are also canonical, but then there are some Spike-related stories that are not canonical mm-hmm. uh, in in comic book form. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't say like sort of the names of those. There, there. So one one of the non-canonical um, Spike stories is sort of an alternate universe in which a lot of the characters are puppets. <laughs> so <laughs> there, it, it, I you know, okay, that's fine. Um, yeah. And and those are, you know, those are not really, um, like, Joss Whedon didn't himself have 
mm-hmm. uh, spinoffs uh, or a uh, hand in those. Um, there are some, there are a few, there are actually a couple characters in Angel who we have not met yet who also get a couple of comic spinoffs that are, yeah, that sort of fit into the Buffyverse continuity. Um, so all of those, uh, and actually, and so, uh, and actually, I think Gunn also has, who we have met, um, also mm-hmm. has at least one uh, comic spinoff as well. So, yeah. you know, there's all these sort of extra ones. Then, then there's a bunch of, um, there's a bunch of sort of semi-canonical, like, going along the lines of like star Wars is compatible, but not necessarily canonical Mm -hmm. um, stories that all sort of fit in, fit in there as well. Um, Now there's uh, ancillary works that sort of Joss Whedon hasn't sort of explicitly said these are not canonical, but because he didn't have sort of an official hand in creating them, they're not, they're not related. So some of those are like the additional, comic books that that i've mentioned um there's also a number of novels um and and even video games that um that that talk about different things um sometimes they're not canonical because they sort of ignore stuff that happens in the tv shows like for example we know that um spike has killed two slayers in his lifetime but then there's like uh uh a different um there's like a novel that like explores one of those slayers who is later mm-hmm. not the one who we learn that Spike is killed. So like there's there's like these different like I'm trying to not be too spoilery about it, but there's yeah. there's different um sorts of versions like of those types of stories that like are told elsewhere or at okay. least part of partly told elsewhere. And there's um there's actually a um Tales of the Slayer uh anthology um Mm -hmm. that are about different different slayers that are kind of like like maybe again under the compatible but not necessarily canonical uh you know type thing where it's these different slayers throughout history kind of thing um but yeah anyway so even having explained all that like it does sound like there's actually quite a bit that is sort of extra, but mm-hmm. like it's a much smaller amount than yeah. like Star Wars or Marvel or even Doctor Who would have. Um, as far as and it that sounds goes. like Whedon has a slight less a, a less heavy fist about his yeah. declarations of the universe and everything. Yeah. Like like you can you can all sort of tell which pieces are primary, but he's also not going around like expelling other things from yeah you know in quite right. the same way as like you know. Disney has done with with you know Star Wars and everything. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm I'm sorry. I, I apologize. I I just said Tales of the Slayers was not actually that is considered canonical. Um, and it had and it so Whedon actually I guess wrote a number of those, but also um were written by Amber Benson, uh, who plays mm-hmm. Tara, uh, Jane Espenson, David Fury, Drew Goddard. So all writers of the show actually had yeah. had a hand in a hand um in, in those Tales of the Slayers. I apologize. I misread the. The, the page I was reading. Um, so, oh, and so I mentioned Frey. I'll just bring up um, Frey is a Buffyverse story that uh, is actually in the future. I forget exactly how long in the future. I, it may not even say, but it's like, you know, there's like flying cars and like cool. telepathic 
animals and that kind of thing. So like definitely there's there's a very specific tie between Frey and Buffy the series. So yeah. I don't want to get too much into into what that is, but mm-hmm. um but it's definitely it's it's basically Joss Whedon, you know, sort of extrapolating out and you know t- and we've talked about how Buffy is sort of a mix between science fiction and fantasy and it's like sort of ramping up, you know, turning up the science fiction aspect of it and putting it in the future and that kind of thing. Right. Um, and seeing how that would go. And actually, so recently pop matters, um, put out a call for papers around, um, where, where Joss Whedon, you know, might be going in the future. Like now that his sort of Avengers stuff is done and, right. And, you know, he's got, Plenty so he's of, not. Is he doing any more movies from Marvel at this he's point? Not. We, he's not. He's not. Okay. He's he's come out. He's definitely not. We we so the the um we we know who is doing the next two Avengers movies. Um, okay. it, it, they're brothers. Um, uh, and and yeah, Whedon has said he's not going to be involved with that. Now, whether he ends up being involved with like Agents of Shield or something, I I suspect he won't. But mm-hmm. um, he's actually. I believe he said that his first project after now that he's done, like he said, like May 1st, you know, once, once Avengers launches, um, he's actually got like, uh, he was working on a musical, uh, like an EP with, um, with like a folk singer at one okay. point. And like, he's like, I want to focus on that. So yeah. we'll be getting like a music album from Onto him like next. The Vanity yeah, project. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, he's got a ton of stuff that he's, yeah. Been putting off. You know, he might maybe he'll do another Bell with her studios, you know, mm-hmm. project. Maybe he'll revisit one of his old scripts like um Goners or something mm-hmm. like that that's um not been done. Or, you know, mm-hmm. rumors about Doctor Horrible too have been in the works mm-hmm. for a long time. Um I know he's supported um uh or at least, you know, spoken out in support of uh, projects like um, Alan Tudyk and uh, Nathan Fillion's um, uh, what's the name of this Con show? Man. That they're, Con Man. Yes, yeah. thank you. Uh, that they're trying to put together. So, you know, who knows if he'll have any involvement in that sort of thing. Right. Um, and so, like, he hasn't really said what he's going to be working on next. Sure, he could um, go any any number of directions. But in, in so the, going back to this Pop Matters call for papers, uh, which I I did not submit anything for. Um, <laughs> I was going to, and then sort of got distracted and, and didn't get it done in time. But one of my thoughts was that if he were to return to the Buffyverse, I think he should return to create Frey as a uh, as a futuristic Slayer story. Um, even so far as I I would want him to sort of retcon his own Frey comic, whether that would happen or not. Um, yeah. Whatever, but to you know, as far as you know, who to cast and and like that kind of thing to have, um, you know, like someone who's a minority playing the Slayer mm-hmm. of the future, um, and and there are certain events that you would have to deal with. Like I said, there's there's a very specific link between the Buffy verse between the Buffy series and the Frey comic um, that would sort of have to be dealt with. But I think it could be dealt with in an interesting. And whatever way, I'm sure, you know, Whedon would be up to the challenge for that. So uh, that's my personal thought. Um, yeah. The other, the other thing that's hanging out there, um, and 
I, I can't remember if you mentioned when we were recording or if it was before we were recording that there's sort of um, been rumors for a while about a potential Buffy movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think based on what mm-hmm. I've heard, uh, how that would play out is that it would be a reboot. Mm. And <laughs> I'm not a fan of that. Whedon's not a fan of that. Uh-huh. Most fans are not a fan of that, uh-huh. that I've seen. The only people who are sort of a fan of that uh-huh. is uh, the people who actually own the production rights to Buffy, which is not Joss Whedon. Right. And they're the people who produced and created the original movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the, the Kazooie, uh, I, I may not be pronouncing that right. Um, the the, the Kazooies, um, basically, you know, Joss being a young screenwriter and all of that sold his um you know rights to buffy uh right and and actually you probably have seen there i mean they're on every episode as producers mm-hmm. um fran rebel kazui um who who actually i believe directed the first that the original buffy movie um okay. and uh kind of the only thing that she's notable for Mm -hmm. um and and so they have expressed an interest because they haven't really done anything notable since then they've expressed interest in reviving or rebooting buffy Mm -hmm. as a movie um you know it would be unfortunate but they also own those rights to do so Mm -hmm. uh so you know, it's one of those things where nobody except them seems to think it's a good idea. Um, who knows I if that will happen. And so maybe this goes back to the question of the nature of Doctor Who versus Buffy, like what kinds of shows and stories they are. But that to me doesn't seem all that dissimilar from the issues surrounding the Doctor Who movie, you know, of, you know, Moffat has stated that he wouldn't want, you know, a Hollywood blockbuster of Doctor Who that was separate from the TV show. But there's also the issues of making a movie that then impacts or detracts from the TV show. And so again, you have this issue of is it only the Hollywood Sony executives who think a Doctor Who movie is a good idea? Is it right. people who are not really interested in the story and the, the what's actually interesting about it? And and again, I don't know that. You know, I can't. I don't know those people. I don't know what kind of conversations are had. But I think that's a similar question to: Do you want a Buffyverse movie that isn't sort of, even if it's not strictly the next thing that happens, you know, canonical, like continuous with the Buffy story, is it, it's worrisome, I think, to kind of then hand that off to somebody who's not been involved previously and to just let them do whatever they, you know, um, yeah, you know, like I sympathize with Joss's, uh, hesitation because I think that's similar to the hesitation I feel with the Doctor Who issue too. Yeah. Um, yeah. If that makes sense. Um, but again, maybe it's easier to do a looser 
you know, version of one than it is of the other. Um, and, you know, I guess, so it sounds like there's no interest on Joss's part in doing a movie that's like a continuation of the TV show. Um, you know, not never yeah. say never, but it sounds like that's not really something that is I on mean, the cards. But. So, the other, I mean, they're, they're over different periods. There have been talks of other spinoffs. Um, one was a spinoff featuring Faith. Uh, mm -hmm. which, you know, I think would then bring in a question, okay, well, what, what about the, um, after, aftermath of like, like what's told in the comics, basically, what about mm -hmm. that stuff? Angel, you know, in Angel and Faith and also Faith does show up in, um, the like seasons eight, nine, 10. I don't, uh -huh. I've only actually read season eight. I don't know if she's also in nine and 10 or whatever, but other, I mean, other characters. So I will. I will say that, like, for example, Oz shows up in season eight, right. uh, you know, comic. Um, and there's a lot of different things that can be done. Um, season eight is a much more world hopping, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, affair because it's comics. You can go wherever you want and it doesn't cost you money to scout locations and make it look like you're someplace other than Sunnydale where you've built right. all these sets, you know, kind of thing. So, um there's definitely like this sort of freeing aspect to those stories too. But then like, if you were to come back and address it, like how would you do that? Would, would Buffy be Sarah Michelle Gellar still? Would she be 10 years older or about 20 years older? Or, you know, like, you know, how many, you know, how far in the future are you? Or do you do something? Which is why I think like something like Frey would be a really good way to go back and, return to the Buffy verse and explore a lot of the ideas, but you do it, you know, several hundred, a thousand, whatever years down the yeah. road where you're ha where you have all these technological advances, you have different um, sort of things to deal with. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't become uh, as big of a problem in sort right. of trying to new tie a new story with new characters. And yeah. Just, yeah. 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 Um, the other, sorry, just, I was going to say the other thing that, uh, the other thing that, the other series that has sort of been gone back and forth, and even as recently within the last year, like, rumors about multiple parties being interested is um, a series called Ripper, which would explore Giles. Right. Um, whether that's Giles as a young man, like finding a different actor to play like young Ripper Giles, mm -hmm. or whether it's like Giles as an old man, like right. post Buffy series, you know, right. like, right. Um, you know, same kind of thing, like maybe 20 years down the road. So it's far enough past the events of like seasons eight, nine and 10 that they could have still happened. And, mm -hmm. you know, yet, you know, have a decent storyline for Giles later. Um mm -hmm. You know, and those kind of things. Like, you know, I obviously don't know if any of that will ever happen. Um, mm -hmm. But there's definitely ideas about things that could happen. Um, we just don't know. But, yeah, it's it's. I think the one thing that many people don't want to happen is to have someone other than Joss recreating or trying to retcon the mm -hmm. stories that have already been done. Um, and it's fine like I think a lot of people are fine with sort of the ancillary stories 
you know, that are like the novels and, and the non-canonical uh, graphic novels. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't, I think for there it to be a visual medium in that way would certainly, certainly yeah. uh, upset a lot of people. So Well, and I, so I think there's similar, uh, the potential, and again, I think we both acknowledge there are potential good ways and good decisions that where you could expand these, maybe this is where we can kind of finish up. Like there are good ways that you could go about expanding these stories into movies or other mediums. And it seems to me the big, um, the biggest risk that either of them runs in that is, uh, if it's handled poorly are things that, that, um, disservice or even sort of damage the thing that we loved in the first place, you know, you know, which is these two shows, you know, so, you know, again, that's not to say that there aren't really interesting ways you could expand that further, but I think probably what everyone agrees is that you don't want to make lessen the legacy or the impact or the experience of these two shows in the effort to just expand the universes further. Um, right. You know, so you you definitely, there would be a lot of careful decisions that would have to be made about what are the best ways to do that, I think. Mm. Yeah. So, all right. All that said, we don't know. If there will no. be a Doctor Who movie, no we don't know if there will be Buffy stuff Anything, to come. Yeah. Um, be interesting to see we'll if either see. or any of those possibilities comes about. And until then, it's just one big debate. But uh, all right, I guess I guess that means that next week we should probably go back to talking about shows that have already happened since we can't predict the future. Yeah. Yep. Sounds good. All right. <laughs> all right. See you then.